Now, here's your host of Sound Off, Brad Bennett. All right, Northlanders, before we get into Let the Sawdust Fly, I want to finish my uh, Les Grumdahl piece here because I want you to know the Les Grumdahl window and siding is the area's exclusive dealer for Infinity by Marvin Windows. By the way, they use a lot of wood up there, too. Infinity by Marvin Windows are meticulously crafted by exact standards to outperform all other brands. Infinity by Marvin offers homeowners a premier line of Altrex fiberglass replacement windows, which are energy efficient with many colors and styles to choose from. And all you got to do is call Les Grumdo Window and Siding today at area code 218 728-3060, and they can do estimates remotely, and they've implemented COVID-19 safeguards throughout their entire company, ready to serve you for windows and siding. And now, Kenny, let the sawdust fly! (laughs) We're here, we're here. How are you doing, Brad? I'm good, Peter. How are you? Okay, okay. Say, today, folks, uh, glad to be back. Uh, We have a guest from Dallas, Texas, Tom Hurt, who's in Las Vegas today at Equipment Vendor Show. And I'm going to bring Tom on here in just a little bit. But a few things I want to hit on first there, Brad, just a little bit. One is uh, I saw the first time in my life, I think, I saw somebody hauling wood away I've never seen before. On the way in, in Duluth... There's a car, like a four-door car. I didn't have time to stop and take a picture. I want to stop and look at it real close. But there's actually a car, looked like a four-door sedan, with eight-foot wood piled lengthwise on the roof of the car. He doesn't need any stakes because the roof is caving in. He's probably got seven, eight, nine hundred pounds of wood on there that's squatting down decent. He's got straps holding it down. I thought, you'd be talking to each other. You know, I feel taller. The roof seems like it's hitting my head. <laughs> I have no idea if I saw it and it, you wanted to stop and look at it and just think, this is so cool to take a picture. You're desperate to haul wood here, dude, because you just caved in your roof and everything. <laughs> now, uh, tell me, Peter, was it was it burnable wood or was it construction wood? It's more like old pine pulp that you can burn it for wood. You can do whatever with it, but it's like, what are you thinking? You just caused thousands of dollars of damage for about... 20 bucks worth of wood. <laughs> oh, man. It could be. Maybe the car isn't all that well liked. But uh, anyway, uh, Brad, on the last show, I kind of went too fast, and I'm always in this hurry constantly, and I feel really bad about it. And I talk, I tried calling you, and I called talked to Kathy about it. Is you asked about uh, there, there's um, a, a reporter from Wisconsin that wanted to do an article Yes. Uh, okay, for a magazine. And he did do an article, and at first it was just, uh, he was going to call me for about maybe a two, three-minute uh, talk, five-minute, and use little segments with uh, other articles in it. And after talking 15 minutes, he said, I want to think on this, and I'm going to call you back. Is that all right? I said, sure, sure. I thought it was over right there. Well, then yeah. then uh, about a couple weeks later, he calls back, and he says, uh, we talked for a good hour, and he says, I want to do a full article on what you're doing, because I told him a bunch of stuff about the timber industry, and what we're doing here, and it, it turned into actually its own standalone article. And the guy's name is Fred Williston, and he's a reporter out of Wisconsin. And it's going to go in the Lakeland Times, an article about how right. this became a radio show where you guys were willing, willing to let us come on. And it's going to, I call it Wisconsin's GQ magazine is what it's going to be in. <laughs> 
Are you going to have the center fold or anything in it? I don't know. You'll have to find it, but uh, just look for it. You probably can Google Lakeland Times, and it should be in there coming up. I'm not sure when, but it should be in there. And I, I thought, I'm always in this hurry, and I thought, i got to slow down and start answering questions. And then if we don't get to everything, we don't get to everything. But... Uh, I just want to clear that up, but it is an article, and you're quoted in there, Brad, and I'm quoted quite a bit about how this all came about, and I explained what really took place to get to this point. And it wasn't actually 2016. It was probably around 2006 where it actually started taking root, where I actually thought about it. But it's in the article, and if you get a chance, okay. get a chance to read it, uh, he's going to give me a hard copy, and I'll try and bring one in the studio Good. and give it to you Super. guys. But um, anyway... We have Tom Hurt. He's in Las Vegas, and he's the equipment guru. He deals internationally, folks, with logging and companies all over the world. And, and Tom, are you there? And I'd like to hit on a few things. Of uh, The big thing is uh, in the timber industry is a lot of folks are, I call, panic buying. They're panically buying homes, panic buying toilet paper. Just like 9-11, they're panic buying gasoline. Well, right now, the big thing is homes and lumber and building materials. And hopefully, if we have enough time, we can explain what folks can do as a whole to change that course. And with Tom. Tom, uh, Tom this is Brad Bennett. And the first thing I want to ask you is what in the world is happening to the price of lumber two by fours and things like that? Well, it's a great question. It's It's funny. It's probably on everybody's mind. It's been a. I mean, lumber's a commodity, and everybody kind of feels it because everybody builds with it. And uh, Pete and I were talking about it uh, earlier this week. And you get a lot of feedback from different people. A lot of people are making guesses about stuff. But you have to look back, and like everything else in this world right now, it's COVID-related. And a lot of times we don't think about just how deep this this change in the entire planet you know, has, has caused things to kind of go haywire. Yeah. But in a in a nutshell, there's been uh, a few good things written, uh, like by Fortune magazine and, and people like that, that have kind of delved into some of it. And some of the basics, and I won't get too wordy with you, but sawmills in the South, when COVID hit, uh, it's it's a hands-on environment. You got guys working next to each other, putting plywood through, putting lumber through, what have you. And when the COVID hit, basically mills were shut down. There was not really a big anticipation that demand was going to be pretty severe. You, your mentality is nobody's working. You know, incomes sure. have been slowed down. They're going to really step away from this. But really, the contrary happened, and people were suddenly working from home, and they're looking around every day. Uh, there's maybe not as much effort to be made on their work job, but they're still being paid. And let's, let's start doing these do-it-yourself projects. And all of a sudden, sure. you have guys repairing fences, putting on new roofs. A lot of guys, we heard this from many families when you heard about all the tragedy in New York with the senior centers, with the, with the, with your parents being succumbed to this disease. They're pulling them out of those places. You know, health, we'll take care of them better than that. And they're building additions onto their homes to take care of family members. So it's just yep. a big influx of do-it-yourself stuff. Then the Canadian situation. Um, I'm not sure if people are, uh, maybe in your part of the country, they're aware of it, because it takes a longer time to grow a, uh, a stick of wood in Minnesota and certainly uh, up in Canada. And down in the south, you know, we, we, I think we talked about this last time I was on, but we, we grow about three-quarters of an inch of wood every year. It takes a lot, probably twice to three times as long 
but what it provides from the northern wood is a tighter growth ring, which is a better construction piece of wood. Well, British Columbia up in Canada is a massive supplier of that. And over the past 15 years, there's been a phenomenon of both uh, the pine beetle and forest fires that have knocked down their supply of wood dramatically. And culminated with a... And they, they throw some global warming concepts at this. I, I think it's... I think you can have a cycle in the weather climate, and you don't have to assume it's some kind of a, a different phenomenon. Mother Earth does things that she wants to do it. But in the past oh, 15, 20 years, it's been a little bit warmer there, and this pine beetle has survived at a greater extent in mass-produced, and they have a much higher uh, uh, situation of where they're killing off trees. Well, once these trees are damaged, they can't do anything but take them down at a faster pace than normal. So we've, we've consumed all that wood over the past 15 years, and to regrow that timber is to take another 35. So that sure. slowed a bunch of production from Canada coming down, plus the transportation uh, issues from truck drivers that are just, they don't have to work because they can stay home and get their unemployment. And I'm not picking on them. There's thousands of people like that right now. So you just have transportation issues, supply issues. It's just, it just gets all over the board. But that's what's starting to nip at our lumber prices. And the, the other thing, our little millennials are all coming into home buying age. They're all hitting that 29 to 31-year-old stage where they buy their first home. And our, our, our interest rates are, you know, compared to old guys like you, me, and Pete, when we first bought our first home back around Jimmy Carter's time, we got that great interest rate of 17%. These kids are committed right. to 0.5%. All right? You got a good deal. Mine was 18%. <laughs> well, they, well, they probably took advantage of somebody like you, Pete, so I can tell you. But anyway, anyway, but this is part of the phenomenon. And so kids are buying homes up. And where they thought that there would be a slowdown in a much higher inventory of new homes, there's not. And I think we've all seen that. I mean, in, down, in, down in Texas, a neighbor of mine sold his home. He listed it at, uh, let's just say, $200,000. And finally, he got you know you figure well they get one ninety four. What do you? No, he got two hundred and seventy five thousand dollars for it because there was a bidding wow. war of people wanting the house. Yeah, and we're seeing this all over the place. People I talk to in all parts of the world. It's interesting. Tom, let me throw in something here. I, I talked to a guy down in Florida this winter that uh, where we live in the winter, and he worked for Home Depot, and he told me one of the things that was happening down there. He said is we're getting people are getting these stimulus checks well they're not a, not enough to do a lot they are enough to do the kind of small jobs that people have been putting off around their homes like building a home office you know they could buy enough 2 by 4s and sheetrock to put up a home office or to remodel a kitchen or to do something like that and he said all of a sudden everybody is becoming a home remodeler absolutely and what, what coincides with that, besides the stimulus money, which it, it's helpful for most people, a lot of them would look at that and, and maybe, you know, be very careful where they use it to make sure they don't uh, overextend themselves. But picture the normal family who saves money through the year and they've got uh, a few thousand dollars put away for their family vacation. Well, yep. there's no vacations when the hotels are closed and you've got viruses every place, so you're at home. So you have extra expendable income that you normally wouldn't have, 
and you look to what can we do? Well, let's improve yep. things here. Let's improve things here. So you're exactly right. It, it coincides in different ways. But what people don't think about is we've, we've all felt the effects of the virus, but we feel them in our own regional areas. It's when you, when you travel out right now and you go to other places and you actually start to feel the effect that it's everywhere. And anything yeah. you start to think about equipment-wise or whatever, it's having a massive effect. And it's starting to, you know, it's coming back now. But it, it's like stopping a 3,000-car train. We got to stop. Now to start it back up, it's going to take a while. Well, Tom, maybe you and uh, you and Pete can both talk a little bit about what is the future going to be. Are we going to continue to see higher wood prices, or or will this just be a phase we're going through, and maybe it'll level off again? What do you think? My view, from what I've seen right now, and Pete may concur with this. Um, it's a little bit of a false economy with lumber because this thing all hit when they didn't expect it. And so you have, an, you have an unnatural push of prices when this supply and demand is upside down. The southern okay. sawmills will be gearing back up, but they won't ever quite catch up to this crazy demand that's going right now. And the Canadian wood will start to flow a little bit better as things free up a little bit. <laughs> but from people that I've spoken to, we are probably going to settle in at a higher price of lumber uh, than what we than what we had experienced, uh, you know, seven eight months ago. So in the future, you can probably expect that home prices will be uh, up up ten twelve percent probably just based on the cost of lumber, even a year from okay. now. Okay. Okay. So you will see cost of new home construction going up a little bit and things like that. Things where they're Absolutely. using, yeah. Absolutely, and, and they're facing that right now. You have you probably have builders who have signed contracts to have, to finish a home by the end of the year, and when they had quoted the home to them six months ago, all of a sudden their wood prices are up, you know, fifteen thousand dollars, and they're trying to figure out you know, in a contract it's hard to break that back out. So some of your some of your builders are going to take it on the chin on some existing homes, but they're going to have to adjust it on future uh, future projects. Interesting. Very interesting. Pete, what about you? What are you seeing uh, in your supplying that you're doing to the mills and things? Is it Are are you getting a little bit more as well, or is it only on the retail end that we're seeing No, the from the logger's end, I've talked to quite a few people, and the logger's end, <clears throat> we have not gotten a raise for many, many years. If anything, we've actually got cut. So our price that we get for the loggers is not the – there's probably one or two here and there that probably got a little bit more. And maybe if you're dealing with the saw logs or something, you might have got a little bit more. But for around here in the upper Midwest, it's been kind of sta- – actually, it's gone the other way. There's – talk to guys in Wisconsin. The big concern is with the paper mill over there. Uh, the 25% of Wisconsin's wood is not being consumed because of that, roughly, roughly. Yeah. And so that's uh, what happens is other uh, mills take advantage a little bit, and that's how the nature of the beast is, is uh, you get less money probably. It could be changing. There could be some stuff coming to Minnesota I can't talk about right now, but the couple of plants that could be coming in, I'm hoping to get them on, but it could be a little bit. But as far as what I see on the horizon is uh, hopefully could tell folks what to do by the end of the show is after you listen to more what's going on so you get a good feel. It's not just here in the upper Midwest. It's all over the world when this thing took off. And it's yeah. a it's a big that's why I call it panic buying. 
right. e- even equipment is becoming a is a becoming a problem here. But um, Tom yeah, Brad, could hit on if, if I could, Pete. Yep. On what you just mentioned, um, and I interact with thousands of loggers on the world, mostly in North America. Something that a lot of folks probably don't understand in the supply chain of wood is you know you you have your Home Depot and your consumers at the one end, and you wonder why the you know the the, the numbers change. Well, if Home Depot can't get enough wood, uh, then the price goes up. They've got to keep their margins. They've got to make their money that way, and it's it's a national chain, and that's how they control it. Then the mills that are supplying to them, they're massive companies, and they control the pricing of their wood and how it goes to Home Depot. And there's some battles in there. But you go back to into the heartland of the guys that are cutting the trees. And what you basically have are thousands of independent businessmen, all of them working, you know, like, like for Pete. Okay, he's in, he is Pete Incorporated. Not your real name, Pete, but, I mean, you have Pete Incorporated <laughs> yep. dragging wood out of the, you know, bringing it, getting its mill every time. And even though there's a camaraderie between all of these loggers, they're all independent businessmen, and they ultimately compete. And in spite of all the good intentions, because of that, and because of a long supply of loggers in the industry, it opens them to be to be at the, the tough end of the stick, so to speak. The, the sure. flow of money doesn't get back to them because... If Pete pushes back and says, and I'm not saying Pete does this, but he, if he chose to push back and say, look, things are tight, equipment's gone off the roof, i got to have another dollar a cord. There's a good chance there's some guy 50 miles away whose things are a little bit tighter says, no, I'll work for that dollar less a cord, that's okay. And it doesn't yeah. make anybody a bad guy, but it just shows that there's such a competitive network down there, and that's why in the equipment world, loggers are always trying to differentiate themselves a little bit. Uh, be more unique than maybe the next guy, so you can uh, you can advance your your own income that way. Sure. Uh, Pete, well, know, Pete and Tom, Pete, hold your uh, hold mm-hmm. your fire for a few minutes here while we take our first break of <clears throat> of this segment. Uh, we've got some uh, live spots we need to do here, and I want to remind everybody that uh, this is let the sawdust fly. This is a a segment now that we've been doing for. I don't know, Pete, what has it been? How how many years have we been doing this? And we thought this might work once or twice or a couple of months, and it's it's really ended up to be a very successful segment. We do it the last Wednesday of every month, and uh, Pete Woods uh, comes with guests and people to talk to, interesting people such as Tom Hurt. Uh, and uh, so it, it, it has become quite a segment. But we're going to take a quick break here, and then we'll come back with more Let the Sawdust Fly. Giant Redwood. The larch, the fir, the mighty Scots pine, the smell of fresh-cut timber, the crash of mighty trees. With my best girl by my side, we'd sing, sing, sing. I'm a lumberjack and I'm okay. I sleep all night and I work all day. He's a lumberjack and he's okay. He sleeps all night and he works all day. I cut down trees, I eat my lunch, I go to the lavatory. On Wednesday I go shopping and have buttered scones for tea. He cuts down trees. <laughs> yes, yes, he- yes. <laughs> Peter, you know, I've thought many times when we've done that song, song on this uh, segment, 
I, I bet you you don't have any trouble sleeping at night, do you, with the physical work you do out in the woods? Uh, it's a lot of stress, so actually I do have tr- a little bit of trouble sleeping sometimes. Yeah, I, you're you're thinking about things and you're concerned and trying to figure out things. And, and uh, one thing is, you know, is like just take the radio show, for instance. You want it to be entertaining at the same time, informative, so folks want to tune in, listen, glad that they did that. And I'm always thankful for you guys letting us on here and the, the folks out there willing to listen. And it isn't, it isn't to, we got answers to what we're talking about here today, folks, but we're, we're trying to build it up to the point where at the end of the show where we can say, this is what people can do as a whole, but we want to get a little bit more into this more because like for one thing that I noticed quite heavily when I come into town or something like that, the parking lots of like dealerships, whether it's cars, RVs, or what have you, or try and go and buy a side-by-side. And the, yeah. what I noticed that dealers are doing is instead the cars used to be parked right next to each other or the RVs right next to each other, or trailers right next to each other, tight, the whole parking lot packed. Now yep. if you look, every other spot is open and, or they're turning their vehicles a little bit different. And the reason why they're doing that, folks, is to make it look like they have all the same amount of cars, all the same amount of sure. RVs, all the same amount of uh, Try go and try and order a new side by side. See how long you got to wait. Try and go order a oh, wet yeah. bike. See how long you got to wait. It's because everybody's buying so much, and there's a lack, I think, of workers that are working because they're so enticed to stay at home. And yep. it's sooner or later that's got to stop. And and one of the things with Tom is Tom deals internationally, like I said earlier, with equipment. And Tom. The, the the new market, could you hit on the new market what's happening there? Because we need new steel for that. And then hit on the, the, the used equipment because that's your – you've been going big, big guns. to try. You can't hardly keep up on selling used equipment. But could you explain on that a little bit, like the new equipment and the used equipment and what you deal like all over the world kind of? Sure. And if I get up on too many tangents, reel me back in. But we've, we've seen a big demand in used equipment simply because – um, our loggers are, you know, are not only an endangered species, but they are a necessary worker, as we call them out there. They've got to be working. They need to supply the materials uh, for us to use as consumers out here. So these guys are always looking for, for more equipment, for better equipment. But the manufacturers, uh, because they had to slow things down intentionally, you think that, okay, it's just a, a big company. Like, take uh, take Tiger Cat in uh a good supplier of uh, forestry equipment up in Canada. Well, Canada's even been a little bit worse on how they've slowed their companies down, but they had to, they literally shut their place down for about a month, and they've been ramping it back up. But what people don't understand, sure. okay, well, they're building stuff again. Well, they are, but they don't, you know, they construct this stuff. They have to buy the steel, buy the pumps, buy the tires, buy the winches, all the different components that are needed. That entire supply chain was massively interrupted by this by this virus, some by overreaction or whatever. But when you have the entire world's leaders say, okay, everybody, stop, it had a profound effect in every little corner. If you're a guy building widgets that have to go onto a large machine and you can't get your raw material for building that widget, you're stopping a machine from coming out of a plant. Well, there's hundreds and hundreds of those kinds of people. It's in the car industry also. So it's you, you can look at your own little world. It's so easy just to focus just around your own neighborhood. Yeah, it's kind of slow. I wonder why or whatever. This is everywhere. 
get yeah. it ramped back up. It, it's, it's a monumental effort to ramp it back up. So uh, here's a different example we, we spoke about. Part of, the, uh, part of the supply chain breakage has been transportation. Now, everyone who, moves, who goes out on the highway at all today, we have a, there's a bunch of trucks moving up and down. Part of the reason for that is we're, we're doing, what, 50% more shopping online? We're getting our stuff online, but don't leave your home. Just have Amazon or whoever bring it to us. So you have a much higher flow of commercial traffic. But at the same time, we're telling people to stay home when they can. And so it's hard for these companies to get good drivers because a guy can sit at home and make $50,000 in compensation from the federal government along with the local government. And compared to the 60000 he was making, he's better off because they're not pulling the taxes out of that. So sure. until that sure. comes to an end, and there was all kinds of good intentions. No one's throwing rocks at it. But after a while, we have to, you know, we have to leave our socialist uh, ideas here and let this country go back to work like we're designed Amen. to. Amen. And it's well, and that's why uh, that's part of why you're seeing a lot of states all of a sudden cutting off that supplemental unemployment uh, <clears throat> income because they're realizing, uh, and rightfully so, that a lot of those people don't want to go back to work. They can make almost as much staying at home, drawing the unemployment. Absolutely. Guys, we have to take our Fox News break here, so uh, hang on. Pete, when we come back, maybe we can talk a little bit. I know you don't want to be too optimistic here, Mm -hmm. but it looks like the paper mill out in West Duluth has a chance uh, to revitalize itself, and maybe we can talk just a little bit about that and what that might mean to loggers like yourself when we come back. Chopper's ball to bring us back. Pete Wood, uh, you know, I got to thank you again for this segment over the years. This has really been a well-received, uh, well-interested segment uh, by a lot of our listeners. A lot of big segment of our listeners love this segment when it comes on once a month because it does affect so much in our neighborhoods and in our region. It's the uh, traffic on the highway. It's employing people yes. on a regular basis. And uh, now, with the potential re, uh, redeployment of this mill out in West Duluth, it might mean some revitalization to our neighborhoods as well. Yes. Um, let me back this up just here, and I'll get to the, the paper mill in Duluth. Remember, probably about four years ago, I said you could actually regulate the forest industry or anything to almost out of business or make it so that you can't even afford to build a house. And because yeah. the, the the end user is who's going to pay for it. We pay for it one way with, with what we work. It's the nature of how we do things. But you could actually get to the point where you can't build that house, and that's what's kind of happening. And you try and warn people, this is coming. It's just when. And now it's hitting people. And when they see it firsthand, and that's why I'm so thankful that we can explain it, then you can understand. It doesn't take the pain away, but at least you can understand what's going on. For like the paper mill in Duluth, I, the folks I've talked to, I can't say any names or anything, but because I want to, I want to still, uh, I want them to still talk to me, okay? And and yeah. uh, <laughs> <laughs> the wood, forget it, no way. But it's gonna, it's bought by St Paper, 
and they're going to turn into like a tissue toilet paper style thing. And they're going to use recycled paper, heavy, heavy recycled. They say 100%. Well, I've talked to an engineer who helped build the mill years ago, but it's, you know, they're going to have different paper machines. But you can't do 100, 100% solely used paper, recycled paper. There's got to be some virgin pulp in there because uh, I forgot the name of like ligaments or whatever where the strands of fiber that are really small that hold everything together. Otherwise, if you grab your toilet paper, just fall and crumble in your hands. Right there, it wouldn't, it wouldn't even come off the roll. Well, they're going to need some of that, but the, the thing is, okay, loggers are probably thinking, all right, we're going to have a market. I don't personally, from listening to all the stories, I don't believe they're going to be buying roundwood there. They're going to be bringing in it. Probably what's going to happen is they're probably going to buy a little bit what they need from other mills that sell pulp on the market. It's still going to... so. It's not going to directly make it where loggers bring it in from Wisconsin and Minnesota into this paper mill. What it's going to do is the mills that are around here are going to have another market to sell some of their pulp to them. Okay, The percentage now could be extremely low where it could be all oh, that size mill, maybe two, three semi-loads a day of pulp, virgin pulp, instead of oh, bringing Pete, in but- you know 40 loads a day of roundwood. Yeah. Pete, let me read a quote out of the paper from today or yesterday because the St. Louis County commissioners have also set aside $600,000 to help this mill open up as well. Mm-hmm. And and you're absolutely right. Ronald Theory, the senior vice president, chief operating officer, addressed the board at St. Louis County yesterday relaying a history of the 14-year company with two current mills and operations And he said, we make jumbo rolls of paper using recycled fiber and also developing on the products. We may also use a good portion of virgin wood pulp that we would purchase into the facility. So you're absolutely right. Some of it is not necessarily new logs that will come in, but it's virgin wood pulp that they would use to make the product. And in order to get that, you still have to harvest trees. So. And, yes. and they're only going to, around the way it sounds, around 80 employees, which is still, folks, don't get me wrong, it's still better than having to be trashed out and hauled Wrong away for scrap. You know, yeah. you're still getting yeah. these, and those jobs are not going to be $10 an hour jobs. You're going to be running equipment, and, and it's, a, it's, a, it's a skilled area. So the jobs are going to pay well. You're, it's going to pay well. So, And it's probably going to take 18 to 24 months before they really start producing a product. It's not going to happen overnight. So it's going to take a little time, but eventually those jobs will come. There'll be spinoff jobs. There's going to be probably uh, in the trucking end is probably where it's going to be in there. There again, you need the workers to drive the trucks. I know a, a trucking outfit out of McGregor that he has quite a few trucks, and he said it's not the truck part. He's got work. It's the driver end. It's trying to get the drivers. And so there's a lot of people that there's jobs out there, folks. If you want to get a job, you just got to be willing to go and apply. So yeah. there, I think there's going to be a lot of jobs for this paper mill in Duluth, spinoff jobs, meaning for the trucking end of it. I think that's going to be pretty good there. But as far as the rounded for the loggers in northeastern Wisconsin, Minnesota, Wisconsin, Michigan, I don't think it's going to do a whole lot other than a little bit of pulp, virgin pulp from another mill. But uh, I'm a little okay. bit long on but that. But like you say, 
it's still going to take logs to develop the pulp, so that will go somewhere. The and and then the pulp will be reused into other purposes. So right, it it is a plus. You have to have in order to get virgin pulp, you have to harvest trees. It has to come from the trees because that fiber. I think what happens, it breaks down over time, and you can only get so many cycle times out of reusing paper. You can't. It can't. I don't believe it can be infinity. Do you know anything more about that, Tom, than what I said? Yeah, you're exactly right. That's that's the the challenge of recycling stuff um, of, of pulp. Um, I don't know the exact percentage, but um, that's why you can't just you can't just take all the recyclables and put it in uh, all your newspapers and what have you. Those have to be blended with with new fibers because each time you recycle uh, the fiber, the the core that holds the, the the molecules and the fiber together, they're slowly breaking down. So you have to introduce a good percentage of new virgin fiber in its strongest form. Otherwise, your product's going to be very weak and it won't last. And the other quote that I had in this story this morning is they talk about how they're going to make jumbo rolls of paper using recycled stuff that they will sell sell to other companies that will eventually convert them into individual napkins, towels, bathroom tissues to use in restaurants, hotels, schools. So there'll be a big market for the end product that they uh, ship to other companies. Yes, that's getting back to necessity making instead of accessory making. Instead of the high gloss in a magazine or something like that, it's going to necessity making. That's what that is. Things that we need to use on a daily basis, like toilet paper, tissue paper, paper towel and that kind of stuff. But um, we're going we're gonna to be running out of time here, Brad. But so I want to just put my point in what I think would help change things. And, Tom, I hope you got something you could say as well on this and see how we, if we run the same or not. But I think what would hap- help is if folks out there, if the panic buying, if, if you get into this panic buying, what happens, you could be on the panic selling and if you do that, what happens is you, you buy a $300,000 house and you got to have double income and you're barely making it. You're watching, watching, watching. And then pretty soon something happens. You have a hiccup and you got to look at selling. And you're going to start looking at panic selling. And you could lose everything you ever worked for. And it's sad. It's really sad. What the best thing to do is take a step back and see, do I absolutely have to buy this house t- this year, this day? Because sure. that's where the problem lies, I think, is you get all excited, wound up. I should be talking because I'm always in a hurry. You know, my family's probably rolling their eyes like, "Who in the heck are you?" But the thing is, is panic buying. You got to sit and analyze it and see because what'll happen is the markets will slowly catch up to what's happening. Yeah. It takes time. It's like Tom said, a three thousand car train. It will pick up again. It takes time, but. In the meantime, if you skyrocket everything so much, you could get it to the point where it won't come back to where average middle-income family could afford it. So as a whole, if you could look at it that way, um, sit and think about it a little bit. And like one person I talked to, a couple I should say a couple people, they're thinking of putting up a building. And I said, if you can get by this year and not – You'll be. You might be better off because right now everything sure. is way, way up there. Everything is so high. Way, yeah. way up there, guys. I hate to say it, but we've run out of time again. We're going to have to look at expanding this to a full hour. I think uh, it's just getting that important. But Tom, thank you so much for your input this morning. And Pete, I've enjoyed Wood, it. we look forward to this. Uh, we look thank forward to this much. every month. 
And uh, we'll be right back after this Wisconsin news break. WDSM time, 9.53. Some happy jazz after some uh, let the sawdust fly, huh? <laughs> See, That's I, always such a good segment. I nowadays. wanted to real quickly uh, pass on some data. Uh, my brother, Gary, is uh, a real estate agent with REMAX Results, and they do a weekly show sure. on KDAL at um, uh, Twin Ports Real Estate Show. And Tom yep. had mentioned something. Tom Hurt had mentioned something about you know, the millennials and, you know, them buying homes and putting a stress on perhaps lumber and uh, supplies in general. Brad, the baby boomer population, and 30, 30 is kind of the magic number when people buy homes. That's the primary home, uh, at least statistics show that, 30 years old people buy homes. That's kind of the age, yeah. 70 million baby boomers back in the day. There are 125 million millennials. The, that 125 million, those millennials, 5 million millennials are turning 30 every year for the next five years. Okay? 5 million millennials are becoming home buyers every year for the next five years. Wow. So there will be quite a market out there. And and there is. And right now, the home sales are right through the roof. So uh, right now in this market, even in Duluth, homes are selling as fast as you put them on the market. 